Anything else that takes away from that can't be the purpose of God in your life. So we're slowly finding a five-lane highway. We know which way we're going on that highway, and then slowly we'll find which lane is for me, Jesus, and then inside of that lane, which mode of transport do you want me to be? Is it on foot? Is it in a Ferrari? Lord, you tell me. Yes? And sometimes it's a stop along the way to pray for a person. Sometimes it's a rush ahead because something else is waiting for you. Is that beautiful? Is that beautiful? People have speculated all for, for, for years throughout human history around our purpose. They really have. And this guy, Hugh Moorhead, a philosophy presser, professor at a major American university, um, he once wrote to the 250 most well-known philosophers in the, in the whole world. And he asked them, can you give me a de definition? Can you explain to me what the meaning of life is? And everyone in the room said, exactly. Tell me, please. <laughs> huh? <laughs> and he says this, he says, um, and then he was going to put it all together in a book. And some offered their best guesses, some admitted that they just made up a purpose in life for themselves. You know, my purpose in life is, I don't know, painting watercolors or, or something. Um, they made up their own purpose. The very honest ones admitted that they were actually clueless. In fact, some of them even said, when you publish your book, please send it to us so we can find out the answer to the meaning in life. Have you ever felt like that? I remember most of my teenage years, I grew up in a Christian home. <coughs> Granddad was a preacher. Uh, I was a preacher's kid. I grew up sleeping under the organ as my mother played. And, um, but I only met Jesus right at the end of high school. And I remember wondering in those years, I remember sitting in my bedroom late at night and looking out the window and, and trying to just get through life, eh? I understand, God, is there even any reason? Does this all matter? Is it worth the pain and the highs and the lows? And what's this all about? Until one day, Jesus found me. He put me on a freeway. And someone has said the purpose of God is not a tightrope that we can fall off. It is a garden to be explored. He's put me on a road. Sometimes I'm in the fast lane. Sometimes he moves me over to the slow lane. Sometimes I'm in a lorry. Sometimes I'm on a bicycle, right? But when I found him, those angst for those anxious thoughts that plague you in the dark watches of the night, settled. And this heart that had built walls around it to protect itself began to open. And I allowed the Savior in. And there was room for others too. And all of a sudden, the purpose and the meaning of life questions started to change. Because I had a sense that there was a Father in Heaven who knew me. And He knew when I, came, when I got up and I sat down, I had a purpose for my life. My purpose is Christ. And as I follow Him and make Him my only purpose, my second purpose, we'll look at five over the series, my second purpose is Christ-likeness. That I don't just follow Him, but I become like Him. I don't just want to be that guy, you know, I'm a Christian on Sundays and Mondays I'm a different guy. You know, I hang out with men sometimes and they tell jokes and they say, oh, we can't tell this in mixed company, but let me just tell you, because we're all men here, right? <laughs> I don't want to be that guy who's different in one group to another group. Do you? No. I want to be a guy who's Christ-like. 
and maybe I'll be more Christ-like next week than last week. And we're all kind of getting there. We're all work, he's working on us all. But my goodness, I want to be more like him in a way that people actually notice and point towards Jesus. Our passage for this morning um, comes from Philippians, but before we turn there, you can give us that next slide, please. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul passionately puts uh, addresses believers in the book of Galatians. He says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. <laughs> I don't know, ladies, these days, you know, no one's allowed to appropriate anything. If I do my hair like you, I'm like crossing some kind of barrier that I shouldn't cross. You know, if I, if I uh, think to tell a lady what, what she might like, you know, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing. But Paul says he appropriates childbirth. My goodness, you might say, oh, he doesn't know anything. But as far as he knows, he's like, he's, I'm, 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 I'm stern and burdened. It feels like I'm giving birth. I'm so wound up that Christ would be formed in you like a baby is formed in its mother's womb. He's longing for us to be formed in Christ and Christ in us. And so this is part, this part of our purpose is to become more like Christ. Or what we can put it this way, for Christ to be formed in us. We're going to try and ask three questions this morning in the time I've got left. Why do we need to change? What does it mean to be more like Jesus? And how do we become more like Jesus? How are we doing? Look, you guys at the back will figure it out. One, two. One, two. One, two. One, two. All of you are going. Like, gee, can't, can't preachers come to three? <laughs> One, two. All right. Well done. Thanks. I know you're doing a great job. Helping you. Philippians. So why do we need to change? Because the truth is, I mean, I've, I've, I've said very quickly, I've told you how much I want to be like him, but you might be a clever person in this building this morning and be saying, oh, but why do I want to be like him? Ah, I trust you've seen my heart, but like, why? Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, and puts it this way. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, who without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You notice that this world is not ideal? Have you noticed that? (laughs) Grumbling and arguing, how is your grumbling and arguing quotient at the moment? Seems that grumbling comes so easy to me, does it? come to you. I'm a guy that sees a cup half full, but I still grumble very easily. (laughs) He said, we are children of God who live in a warped and a crooked generation. That's strong language. You think, well, man, I'm okay. I'm a good guy. I go to the rotary. I give to the poor. I pay that guy at the robot, etc., etc. We we, we say we're not as bad as the others. Right? We, we, we compare ourselves, oh, that guy's an axe murderer. I've never even picked up an axe, even to cut wood. Therefore, I'm better than he is. We think in comparison to, but my goodness, it's in comparison to Jesus, not in comparison to some guy that I've got the edge on. Okay? You think we're, we're not in a warped and a crooked generation? Well, think of this. We, mankind, tends to take the good things that God gives us and use that gift in self-indulgence and um, ingratitude. Instead of being grateful, we take it as our, as, as our um, uh, due. You know, people say, oh, you deserve good things in life. Why? 
I'm so glad you got a new car. You deserve it. For what reason? And you got a good-looking wife. Good for you. You deserve all. She deserves you. <laughs> you know, I deserve to get the promotion because I've worked really hard. Oh, really? We have this entitlement, never mind this generation, but we have this entitlement where we think God, Father Christmas, up in heaven, is supposed to sort us out and hook us up so that we can have our best life now. Why? We're like ants, man. The Lord could be with a, like a kid with a magnifying glass and we're gone. And here we are thinking, oh, we deserve, you know, God deserves to hook me up. No, I deserve to become more like Him if I'm lucky. We take God's gift of food and drink and we, we turn them, we warp them into gluttony and, uh, uh, and addiction. Yeah? Yeah? We can argue about how much we should eat and what we should drink, but my goodness, we take it and it becomes a selfish thing. We take God's gift of sex and we warp it into lust and unfaithfulness and pornography. We take God's gift of leadership and we make it tyranny and dictatorship. We take God's gift of the natural world and we warp it into economic resource to be exploited without thought of future generations. It's me, mine, and my life is the God of the most stuff wins, right? Yeah. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this, he said uh, that inherited sin, in other words, the Sin that, that we all fall part of is like a beard. <laughs> it says, even though I shave it off today and my face is very smooth, man, it grows back tomorrow. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? You, you, you feel like you're styling, you're doing so well, you're loving your neighbor and you, you, you know, honoring your boss and you pray your prayers and then <laughs> you stand in a bottle and everything goes wrong. Have you, hey? Sometimes there's one look from someone and you lose your fruit just like that. Hey? Of course, this is warped and gener uh, a warped generation. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 says, Then, if you do this, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. <laughs> I used to sing in, in Sunday school, Did you this little light of mine? Hmm? I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> Causing you guys all to get distracted. Yeah? And we think, oh man, we, we've done a Sunday school, we're done with that song. The whole purpose of my life even in a warped and crooked generation, is not to be warped and crooked, but to get my life to follow Him, to be Christ-like, that I can shine, shine, shine. So why do I need to change? Because everything in me is not His. It's not like Him. It's not naturally like Him. And so God starts to straighten us out and our previously bent lives start to shine some of His amazing transforming lights in the world around us. Doesn't mean we suddenly become perfect, but we're on a journey to becoming more Christ-like. And you might think, oh man, I haven't even read my Bible this last month. That's okay, because if you've never read it ever, then once a month is how much better? All of a sudden, your colleagues are going to start noticing that your language has got a little bit more Bible in it. We become Christ-like. So why do we need to change? Well, because we, Terry Krieger once said, I know two things, and that's about all he knew. I know two things. He said, one, God does not change. And two, I'm not like him. <laughs> what are the choices that are left to me? Yeah, he's not going to change. I need to become more like him. Even if the entire 
world around me is bent and warped and tends towards self. He is working in me that I tend towards Christ. Number two, what does it mean to be more like Jesus? Philippians helps us. We have this beautiful passage, Philippians chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in your relationships with one another, I tell you the Bible's full of help. <laughs> you want to know, know how to help your, your, your marriage? You want to know how to be an eligible bachelor that's worthwhile to another lady? You want to know how to be a good colleague, a good partner? Man, the Bible helps us. It says, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Man, we're all looking for an edge, aren't we? <laughs> Some of you, 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 you're in a, you know, you've, you've all put your CVs in and now you're waiting. You're hoping you've got an edge over the other guy. <laughs> yeah. And God didn't take any advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness it goes on to say he humbled him being found in human appearance he humbled himself becoming obedient to death even death on a cross remember the the devil when jesus in luke chapter 4 goes to the the, the desert to fast and pray the devil says i'll give you everything in this world all you've got to do is bend the knee to me he says I'll, uh, and jesus says no it's written we worship god alone yeah the Bible scholars talk about this passage there. They talk about the kenosis of Christ. The word he made himself nothing is the same word as empty. It's the Greek word kenosis. And it literally means that God, the, the God of all creation, Jesus Christ, the living word, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, emptied himself. He made himself nothing, taking on the, the, the appearance of a man. Amazing. <laughs> Spider-Man takes off his suit and his web thrower disappears. Yeah? God put on the jacket of a man. You're still fully God. Not godliness tied up in a suit and a, you know, wait, looking for Superman for a telephone booth. Still fully God, but he chose to limit himself to your experience and mine. So that we would be freed <laughs> to somehow participate in his appearance. He took on our appearance so that we, as we become more Christ-like, could take on his likeness. Jesus is humble. He's down to earth. He's ready to relate to people who are much lower than him in status. He's not self-promoting. He's ready to serve. Christ became more human-like so that we can become more Christ-like. One, Jesus is humble. Two, he is a God of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. On the cross, Jesus literally Loved the world to death. Oh, I love you. Now I love you more. I love you to the moon and back. I love you forever. I love you to death. You know, Jesus did. Sacrificial love. It wasn't just February the 14th love. It wasn't just Cardi's 
best customer love. It wasn't even Helen Steiner Rice love. How do I love you? Let me count the ways. It was a love that was self-sacrificial. There's a beautiful story. Um, some of you guys have been around long enough to know The Cross and the Switchblade, one of the early Christian movies. It was so bad you can find it on YouTube. You'll laugh from beginning to end. The, 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 full Margaret, the, the, the way they made it is so cheesy. It was must, they must have had like a five-rand budget. But it's based on the life of a man, David Wilkerson who had a heart to go and tell the gangs about Jesus. And he finds this guy, Nicky Cruz, and he goes up to him, and he's a gang lord. And I mean, it's, I can tell you all the details. It's, it's proper stuff. It's like what we see in parts of South Africa. And he says to this guy, Jesus loves you. <laughs> Imagine this, this geeky preacher turning up to a gang lord and saying, Jesus loves you. Nicky Cruz says, you come near me and I'll kill you. The response is, yeah, you could do that. You could cut me into a thousand pieces and every one of them would still love you. Many of us <laughs> manage to smile at someone because Jesus loves us and when they frown at us, we think, well, that's it. That's your chance over. <laughs> when someone disappoints us or lets us down, when someone hurts us, says the wrong thing or in a fit of anger says what we shouldn't say. We justify ourselves to say, I'm cutting you off because I have to protect myself. Can you imagine if Jesus protected himself from the human race? You see, everyone ad admires and respects Mother Teresa. Yeah? Mother Teresa, a hero. Even, what about Mahatma Gandhi, this man who was this peace-loving, you know, person who would love to, to admire those people, but who would want to be them? Who would want to go to Calcutta and live in the gutters with those that struggle the most? Who would want to embrace no going home and footing on DSTV in the comfort of my own lounge? You see, we admire those people but we're nervous. There's a lady called Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband Jim and I think five friends were missionaries. They went to Bible school. And they decided that they'd found this unreached tribe in the um, Amazon jungle. And they learned to fly this ridiculously little precarious plane, this little bumblebee that hung in the sky. And they took their time and they they flew over this tribe and they dropped some, some gifts to try and make an entrance and then eventually they got up their, their courage to go and tell this tribe about Jesus and when they landed on the beach of the Amazon River, the tribe came out of the jungle with sharpened sticks and killed them all. They hardly got out of the plane. Some of them didn't make it out of off the sand. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, took her children. It took a little while. She went back to that same tribe. She didn't just visit for the weekend and give them a gift and tell them about Jesus. She lived there for years, raised her children in that environment. 
They say that Jim's son, Jim and Elizabeth's son, baptized the son of the man that they think killed their father and husband. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Self-sacrificial love. Today, cancel, cancel culture. You diss me, that's it. You're dead to me. If I want to become more like Christ, I become more humble. I empty myself and it's not about me. I learn to exercise self-sacrificial love. Let me finish with a story. <clears throat> because the question is, how do we become more like Him? And part of your devotions this week and your uh, purpose groups this week, you'll talk some more about this. But I want to finish with this picture. You see, becoming more like Christ involves both God and us. I don't have the time anymore. But uh, sometimes we feel like it's all on us. Sometimes we think, oh, it's all on God. Let me tell you this story and I'll finish. Becoming like Jesus is like crossing an ocean and there are three ways that we can try to do it. You see, there's the rowboat way. <laughs> we might have a picture. There's a rowboat way where I'm making all the effort. If I don't row, the boat doesn't move. And in fact, if there's a current like there is in this world pushing against me, becoming like Jesus, I've got to row all the harder and it's all up to me. I've got to row that boat if I want to become like Jesus. If my destination is Christ. It's exhausting. And it's usually unsuccessful. People like this favorite motto is, God helps those who help themselves. The next picture is a raft. <laughs> we climb on the raft and we just float across the ocean, hoping to somehow catch the right current or the right wind and float to the correct destination. People like this do nothing but hang on and hope God gets them there. Their motto is, let go and let God. Then the third example this morning is that of a sailboat. If it moves at all, <laughs> it's because of a gift of the wind. We can't control the wind, but a good sailor is able to discern where the wind is blowing and adjust the sails accordingly. Working with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus likened to the wind in John 3, means that we have a part in discerning the winds, knowing the direction we need to go, trimming our sails to catch the breeze that God provides. That's how we become more like Jesus. Friends, there's work to be done on a sailboat. But my work doesn't move the sailboat along. The wind will come, you know, even if I haven't got the sail up, it'll nudge me a little bit. The joy of our lives is to participate with Jesus as he works in us, the passage says, to make us like him. And we work to become like him. We work the sails and the spirit blows the wind. And together our destination is Christ and Christ-likeness. God bless you.